Hi everyone, I'm Jordan. And I'm Kelty. And we want to welcome you to the YWAMers podcast. We're excited to have you here. On this podcast, we interview youth with a mission who are everywhere reforming the spheres, aka YWAMers, in the hope that our listeners will be inspired on how they too can be missionaries in their everyday life. Hey everybody, we are just chilling here on the couch and today the interview that you guys will be listening to um, is actually an old friend of mine from Kona, Hawaii who used to be Lauren Cunningham and Darling Cunningham's assistant, uh, Melissa. You never met her, did you? Nope, never met her. No. What did you get out of the out of the podcast? What stood out to you? Uh, just the, her life. I mean, her taking care of her mom it's just amazing story and she sounds like obviously quite a competent efficient lady with a lot of skills that are uh yeah very like productive and all that stuff and she just went to just bless you love on her mom and just take care of her and it was such a inspiring talk and like I felt inspired and just you can just see her humility and um, yeah, she just really exemplifies what it means to love like Jesus. That's how I would sum it up. Yeah, that was amazing. I got a whole bunch of goosebumps. Well, we will just jump straight in. We hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. Hello, everybody. Jordan, Kelty, and Lucy here hosting the podcast today. We hope you're all well. Uh, today we have an old friend that I haven't seen for many years, so it's super fun getting to reconnect on the podcast, and hopefully she's on the other end. Melissa, are you there? I am. Great to speak speaking with you guys again. Now, where are we talking to you from? Where are you located? Right now, I'm in Topeka, Kansas, the center of the U.S., so great place to be. Kansas. I think I've only been to Kansas when I went to the International House of Prayer. That's in yeah. Kansas City. Well, Kansas I... City, I think, is in Kansas, is it? No, it's in Missouri. Ninety-five percent of it's in Missouri, but that's a common misconception. No worries. But oh, yeah, a yeah. lot. Of, Kansas is usually the no-fly zone. So, uh, but a lot of people go to the IHOP, and yeah, that's awesome. Because you're foreign, you can get away with that. Yeah, it's true. But I'm a YWAMer, so I should know like every country, yes. like, our great founder. Yes, exactly. Every great city, every great country. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, we're super pumped to have you on the, on the podcast today, Melissa. It's super great to reconnect. And I don't know if you know your Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, but we always ask our interviewees if they know their personality types. Well, it's interesting because in YWAM, you know, uh, in the Myers-Briggs numbers and numbers of times over the years, and I've taken it nine times. And wow. every time it's different except for one thing, and that's the T. I'm such a strong T and not an F in any way. Okay. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> At least you know that. Yeah, but it's one of those things that's like only 2% women uh, have that strong of a, a, you know, a T in that, which is very interesting. So, yeah, there's a few others that have taken it and are along those lines. But, yeah, I've never taken the Enneagram. But, yeah, Myers-Briggs, it changes every time except that T. Okay, it sounds very uh, seasonal for you, whatever situation you're in, you're a little gecko, just adapting. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just right there on the line between a lot of things. So, you know, I think I've most dominantly scored probably in the INTJ area, um, but yeah, that was my, I've, I think I've hit in that one twice. Okay, and that, I've only met one other woman that's an INTJ, because that, that actually is the rarest 
personality type for a woman. Oh, is it? Um, I did not know that. A woman INTJ is like the least. So you're a very special individual, Melissa. <laughs> well, I think, I, yeah, thank you. It's a, a <laughs> blessing, I think. So, so yeah. Let's, let's jump into what's your YWAM story? Where and when did you do your DTS? Did you stay on after DTS? Give us kind of your YWAM story in a nutshell. Yeah, well, I think part of that is how I even got to YWAM in the first place is a, a valuable thing. You know, I when I first uh, had a called admissions at a very young, young age, even before I knew the Lord, he had called me to missions, which is kind of interesting to a lot of people. And there's a big story behind that. But I did the traditional route of Bible college, of five years of Bible college, an advanced degree there. And then I did my master's New Testament. And so I did eight years of traditional theological education. And at the end of those, I had a really great experience. People really loved the Lord, and it was good. It wasn't like a lot of other people's bad experiences. But one thing I was asking myself is there's got to be a better way to train people, to train people by doing and not just by writing papers and thinking great thoughts about the Lord, but actually doing about that Lord, the things of the Lord. And so I was working. I had just graduated grad school, and I uh, was you know looking for a ministry and having trouble finding one. It was... Um, Anyway, so I was working at a Christian bookstore, and I worked with two YWAMers. And, you know, the more I began asking about them, the more it really intrigued me, this training by doing. And so after much prayer, I decided to jump in. And I only knew of Kona because I'd read the book. You know, is that really you, God? So that's Uh. I thought there was only one base in the world. I didn't know (laughs) that there was many places. So I'm like, okay, you know, suffering for Jesus in Hawaii, not a bad thing. (laughs) So... So I, you know, I went um, in 2011. In fact, I, you know, the Twin Tower event happened and there's a lot of craziness going on. And uh, but I went right after, uh, you know, at that time, the the quarter started in October. So I went a couple weeks after 9-11 and uh, in 2001 and did a DTS in Kona, Hawaii with Howard and Sue Bruce and had just a transformational experience, just and I, I, funny, because I did not want to do DTS. I was really irritated about doing TTS. I wanted to teach in SBS. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I had su- such, you know, love for the Bible. And I was really annoyed that they made you do this DTS thing first. And so, but it's like, whatever, I'll just do it. And then, you know, God just really rocked my world in DTS. And uh, it's funny now, because I, I never have yet taken or staffed SBS. You know, God called me to a different route after that. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's how I, I got to DTS. And it's interesting why I was there in the middle of my DTS. The Lord said, I want you, uh, you've loved me enough with your mind. I want you to learn to love me with your heart. And for me, that was really radical because I'd been in this, the, you know, the traditional theological side. I, I love to love God with my mind, you know, and that's why I'm a strong T. That's my natural yeah. default. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Love God with my heart. What, what are you talking about? That's scary. <laughs> you know, that's subjective. That's, you know, the dangerous, you know. And so, yeah, so it was really, a, you know, a shocking thing. And the Lord told me, I don't want you to staff SBS. I want you to learn to love me with your heart, your whole heart mm. and not just your mind. And so, yeah, just a really radical experience in many ways and so you did your dts and you said god took you another route so what did you do after dts how long were you in the organization of ywam so i was often in why you've been off and on in ywam for a couple decades actually um you know after i did the um uh you know 
DTS. I did the IBC for a while. And then I helped staff a Crossroads DTS. And then I helped get a couple things started in Salem, Oregon, because they were they were restarting their base and uh, had just gotten a new leader, Jesse, and we're jump-starting their base. So we started a couple initiatives there. Then I went down to Brazil for a year and, and staffed, you know, and during that time I got kicked out of a couple countries. Um, Gosh. Yeah, got that to my <laughs> record. I kept trying to find a place to land, but I kept getting kicked out. So, um, you know, and so off and on over the years I've been back, but now I'm in a season of uh, caregiving for my mother and so when I left in 2014, uh, it was interesting. I was working with Lauren and Dara as her assistant. And I was, you know, the Lord told me about a week before I went home to visit family that I'm getting ready to do a shift in your life. And I thought, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. What does that mean? And four days before I got on the plane, we were watching the movie Lord of the Rings where I think it's what's the main guy Frodo or whatever his name is and he he's come back to the Shire with his friends all these epic battles are gone and he's they're all happy to be back and then he turns to them and says I'm not staying I'm going again I don't know if you remember that scene and they're heartbroken because he's leaving them again and the Lord spoke to me I'm moving you also and I'm sitting there watching this with my roommates and I'm you know, looking at this thinking, uh, God has just told me I'm leaving, you know, and I, I, I felt like I was to tell them, but I kind of chickened out because I'm like, is that really you, God? But I knew it was, <laughs> but, you know, I, I was using that more of an excuse to like, ah, and then he, he brought me back home to be a caregiver for my mother. And so, which is where I've been since then. So for an INTJ, INTJs are normally high capacity, like to get lots done, very strategic, try to take over the world, try and improve yep. the efficiency of everything. Yes. Being in Amen. Uh, coming something in Oregon, <laughs> and then you're in Huawei and kind of then you're in Brazil, you're getting kicked out of countries. It seems like quite a high-paced, intense, vision-oriented. And then suddenly you're transitioning into being a full-time caregiver. How did you navigate all of that? How was, how was that for you? Oh, man, that was it. Honestly, is quite a culture shock. You know, the first thing I had to like, stop trying to save the world, you know, (laughs) you know, and that sounds funny, but you don't realize that that kind of creeps into your thinking, you know, and you go from an active lifestyle and being around Christians to being around lots of people and doing things you love going to conferences to, you know, 500,000 hands, you know, or mash or you know, some TV episode, because it comes to a shrieking halt. (laughs) So it definitely was like, such an adjustment to, you know, the life that I had, you know, because, you know, when you're a caregiver, you don't have that community around you, because it it takes every ounce of your energy to care for your loved one. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you have any free time, you're just exhausted needing sleep, (laughs) you know, you're not thinking about, you know, going going places and I live in a really remote area it's only 300 people you know not not Topeka but the town that I care for my mother is you know 300 and so yeah it's been quite an adjustment but it's you know you really come to see that it's the gospel lived out but just it looks different because it's a different season and you know I really have a strong conviction you know what that, you know, people are so quick to put their loved ones in a nursing home. And I've had so many people just put your, your mother in a nursing home, get on with doing ministry and things. But, you know, the scriptures say, if you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. 
And, you know, we think if we just put them in a nursing home, make sure they have food and water, then we go take care of everybody else's family. We go visit orphans, widows, and sick. But we've got our own, you know, so lonely, our own family so lonely. And for me, that's a conviction that, you know, it's worth the sacrifice to care for somebody, caring for something for someone, you know, in extenuating circumstances, yes, you know, sometimes you need to put people into a nursing home and you just can't for yourself. But if you are able to, to make the sacrifice of, of genuinely caring for them, not just food and water and having a place to live, but, you know, relationship and nurturing them as people, you know, till as long as God has them on this earth, for me, that's where faith is expressed. And, you know, it's gritty, it's raw, it's lonely, but, to me, it's the gospel. And how can I be taking care of somebody else's mother, you know, in some foreign land or, you know, if I'm not taking care of my own, meeting her needs and her needs are much greater than just having a place to live, you know? And so I've been doing this now for since 2014, uh, full time. And it's very, very intense. Uh, it never lets up, you know, you live in kind of a constant state of exhaustion, but, you know, it's worth it because to me, it really is the gospel. The Lord says in the scripture in Timothy that he is pleased when we take care of uh, those in our family. And, but it's always been on my heart. You know, if the scriptures are so clear, if we don't care for our family, then we are worse than unbelievers. So he's clearly saying that our faith is really met out in how we care for one another, especially in our families. And so that's where I've been the last few years, you know, <laughs> you know, just uh, in, in my own little world, taking care of my mom. And I don't have any idea how long this season will be, um, but, you know, it's worth every bit of it. It's just that this is what the gospel looks like for this season. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it, as a YWAMer, we're programmed to just go and do, go and do, go and do and have vision and do these things. And even in local church, you realize you just are not able to even serve a lot locally just because if you commit yourself to this one thing it, it just takes it takes a lot out of you so it's sometimes hard when people are talking about and we went to the send and had this great thing and then god's moving great here and um but you know i also read the scriptures differently i see a lot of caregivers in the bible jesus was a caregiver on the cross he's caregiving for his mother yeah. you know and Sometimes I I was reading the scripture a while back ago where he went up on the mountainside, began to teach and heal. And I'm like, Jesus, why did you go up on that mountainside? Because all those caregivers had to bring their paralytic family members up. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it really showed their faith to get healed. But, you know, there's so much in the scriptures that I I just my eyes never saw before. So, yeah, it's just what you're doing. I mean, I remember reading that scripture, too, and always having just feeling like, wow, that's really intense. Like, yeah, taking care of your family. So the fact that you're, you're doing it, it like, and sometimes your family, I always think is kind of the hard, the hardest people to love because you're so close. Right? Yes. You're so in there. Absolutely. In their so yeah, that's amazing. Good for you. That really is amazing. It's really, I got goosebumps as you're sharing. Yeah, so did I. That's really cool. And not because yeah, I'm cold. You, but... Like I feel like it was the Because <laughs> we live in Canada, yeah, so you, you never know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I mean the scriptures are so clear. And you know, when you're in your 40s and you met, move back home, you know it. 
it's it's hard and you know caregiving for somebody who is kind of an authority over your life it's very different than caring for a child that you're over mm-hmm. so it's kind of it's definitely this walk and you know there's lots of family member issues it's not easy because mm-hmm. people have different opinions about what is best what to do right. you know and and the people around you are telling you you know get on with your life and my mom is crying, please don't get on with your life. I don't want to be alone. You know, it just breaks your heart because she's so afraid of, but I I've never been subjected to so much pressure to just, you know, walk away and just get on with your ministry. But where do we get that in scriptures? Because the scriptures I think are really clear that God wants us to care for our family members in their time of need. You know, that is ministry. It's not ministry to the masses. It's ministry to the one. And I remember, was it Henry Nguyen? He left his big name ministry to care for a handicapped man and said it changed his life. And, you know, I can say even for me, I'm not the same person that I was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've been in, you know, caregiving is really a fire that never stops burning. And God uses it to, you know, transform who you are. And, you know, I'm sure that's the same way with you guys with parenting, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's a different season that really is, is, you know, it tries you in a good way to be different people. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, so as you transitioned, were there any kind of key struggles or key beliefs that had to be kind of deconstructed or God kind of had to unravel and speak to you that might have that belief might have worked in a previous season or it might have just been slightly even just incorrect and any kind of what were the kind of the wrestles you had to go through maybe in the first few months as you're like was it am i doing enough was it is this worthwhile like what were the kind of the main struggles that you faced and maybe some of our listeners might face as they transition from one type of pace or one type of season and as they go into something that's very different are there any kind of things Yeah, I, you know, one of the big things that I had to learn was that we feel like we have to be constantly doing in order to feel like we're in ministry or to constantly be active to feel like we're doing great things for God. And I, I think it's Mother Teresa who said something along the lines, it's not what that we do great things that we we do little things with great love. And so Yeah. And I really feel like it was such a transition because we feel fulfilled when we're busy in ministry. We're doing these projects. We're doing these different events. We're going and doing evangelism. But when we're not doing those things, it's like screeching halt. But we have to shift our focus that ministry sometimes looks very small. Ministry is just, you know, going checking on the neighbor who has a broken foot right now and, you know, saying hi you know that's like i think that moves god just as deeply as these big events do and ministry just looks so simple sometimes it literally is like being kind to the cashier or Mm. you know so i think one of the things is to readjust our view of ministry and that it isn't always doing great things and big things and busy things and projects ministry is literally about loving simple love to the person in front of us. And, you know, that is just as pleasing, if not more pleasing to God than doing all these things to go out and save the world. You know, and I, I I say that with, you know, I want to say that with, you know, a measure of we should be out actively engaging in the world, having these rallies, having, being intentional because our world so needs Jesus right now. And there, but there are seasons for that. And then there are seasons where God wants you to minister to the one 
And that's just as valuable. You don't have anything to check off on your list. You can't say, I've got this many people saved, you know, put them in my notch, another notch in my belt, or I did this many things. Um, You know, sometimes God wants you in, in obscurity to take care of the one in front of you. And also just to allow God to do something different in your life. And so, because it's very refining, you really don't, realize that you've got those thoughts and attitudes that creep into your thinking until they're taken away. Yeah. And so uh, just to give yourself grace for each season and each season looks so different. You know, the seasons that we're in, in this life um, are, are always changing and some are, it's like the orchestra. Sometimes we're going to be playing the trumpet, but sometimes we're just going to be sitting there not playing any instrument at all. And it's not that we're not doing anything. It's not our timing mm. to do something great. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, what, what, yeah. What it's, do you think is at the root of people feeling like they always have to be doing something in order to feel, I don't know, is it enough? Is it good enough for God? Or what do you think is at the root of just, or oh, we have to always be doing things or Melissa, you should just leave your mom and our old folks home and now go do some ministry. Like what do you think is kind of the core belief system that undergirds all those things, all those thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's several things. Sometimes I think it's the culture that we've created around us, you know, especially with the sense of put your, your family in a nursing home and get on with your life. I think that's such a strong cultural belief that we have. And I think it's one we have to stop and reexamine. Really? Is this really what it is that the, the Christian life is about? Because it's a culture in the world and it's a culture in the church and it's just normal for us but it's not normal in the middle east they don't even have nursing homes they don't because they don't have an adoption either because the family system takes care of it a lot of places in africa they don't have nursing homes you know in different places you know because the family takes care of the older person the whole family system does so i think it's part cultural and even in church culture we have this thing you've got to be doing and volunteering, you know, even at a local church level, it's like get involved, volunteer, you know, go do this, go do that. And then missions go do this. And so we create a culture that has a sense of expectation where you don't see a culture of people living in rest, you know. And so I think it's redefining the culture. But I also think it's a core problem that we've had as humans for years and years and years and that uh, God is pleased with us more you know, when we do more. And I, you know, we see that in scripture, you know, that the, you know, the Bible teaching, you know, God is pleased with us, not because of our works, but because of our faith. And so for thousands of years, we've had to wrestle with this issue. So uh, it's just creating a culture of resting in God versus, you know, running after God. There's a time to run and there's a time to rest. Interestingly, I used to run marathons. I ran a couple marathons in 2010. Wow. And there's one method of running a marathon that is actually more productive. And that is if you run for four minutes and walk for one minute, run four minutes and walk one minute and do that the whole marathon, your body will actually sustain itself much longer because it has that rest period. And I have a friend in the marathon community who's a uh, a Boston marathoner. And this is how she runs Boston marathons. Wow. So a couple of years ago, she decided to see how she would do by running the marathon nonstop. And she said her, it was horrible. She would never do it again. Her body shut down. It was catastrophic physically for her. Wow. 
And so she went back to this method of run three minutes, walk one minute, run three minutes, walk minutes. And she's able to complete a Boston marathon in time. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I tested this myself. I ran seven and a half miles and then I did the run, run, rest, run, rest. And I was actually faster doing the run, rest, run, rest than I was running. And so I think this concept is the same in the faith is, you know, God has asked us to run, but he's also asked us to rest. Mm. And we've got to create a culture that values that Sabbath rest again. So the Sabbath rest for our souls. And, you know, God has programmed us to rest. You know, we, we are up 12 hours a day or 16 hours a day, and then we sleep, you know, but somehow we think in our work that we can just run, 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 and never need to rest. So I think we've got to reshape culture, the culture around us that it's okay to rest. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Yeah. I think that's going to be so helpful for so many people. Like even as I'm listening, I'm like, that's so, yeah, that's so true. It's just, yeah. And the culture thing, I think you hit it like right at the core. It's like, even here, I guess if you're living with your parents in North America, it's seen as kind of like, what are you doing? Get on with your life. Whereas in like Fiji, they all live together like their whole life. There's like 20 of them in one house. It's just, it's such an interesting <laughs> Um, yeah, it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if you're not on your own, I mean, you are judged, yeah. you know, it's, it, there's no doubt about it. I mean, judgment is passed. You're, you're being lazy. You're being, and I'm like, Hey, I'm taking care of my mother who can't take care of herself. Yeah. You know, it, you know, it's just so cultural yeah. and, you know, as Christians, I think we need to shape culture and not let culture shape us. And so to do that, but it happens on a corporate level where we do redefine how we do things and redefine our actions. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, sometimes young mothers have a lot of pressure to be in the workplace. Yeah. But what about redefining a culture that makes it okay for a mother to work at home, taking care of her baby and maybe have a home business, you know? And so it, it comes down to there's not judgment, but we need to reshape a culture into the ways that pattern after who God is and what he has asked of us to do in the area of work, in the area of rest, in the area of family, in the area of roles. You know, we need to define that on a corporate level so that we can set the standard and shape the culture around us instead of being shaped by the culture around us. Yes, and so for me, you know, that brings me back you know, in full circle in a way, because I think that comes through understanding the scriptures, you know, modeling the scriptures. And we're creating this world. We have this world right now that is being, I'm talking about the Christian world that is more defined by culture than it is by the Bible. And so we've got to even bring the church back into the daily engagement of the word and creating a culture in our own hearts, in our own souls a, a biblical culture, you know, because they always say you will create the culture around you that you will find within you. And so I think creating a biblical culture inside of our own hearts and inside of our own thinking is going to help shape the culture around us. But to do that, we need to understand God's, God's culture. And that comes through the knowledge of his word. Yeah. And I think what I noticed from your story, and I've noticed it in my own life, is you said you re started to read the Bible differently and through a different lens and started to see things differently once you kind of moved from one environment to another. And I think sometimes we can be so oblivious to the culture we're a part of 
if we only ever hang out with the same people in the same circles, if Christians only ever hang out with Christians and they only hang out with Christians yes. in the same denomination that listen to the same five teachers and read the same five teachers' books, it's like you can start to think you're always right and you're always in the center of God's will because you're in an echo chamber. But I find from your story, and I've noticed it in my story and the people that I've experienced, it's, it's actually by being around the marginalized, the others, the ones that are different, the ones that we, we subconsciously may resist or, or judge or try and even win them over to every, even our culture because we think it's the gospel. But it's when we start to befriend those people and go into their worlds, not say, come to our world, we go into their world, kind of the, the Great Commission, go into the world then we start to be shaped, our eyes start to be open, so we can actually start to read the scriptures in a new way. And I think it's kind of like if a fish always talked to fish, they'd think that water was all there was. But if they went and talked to a koala bear, it's like, oh, there's a whole world outside of the water. I, I only ever hung out with fish, and I thought this was all there ever was. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm just kind of verbally processing here as you're talking. I'm kind of having an epiphany. It's, yes. Have you experienced that in your own life where it's kind of your experience because sometimes I find like experience is a taboo word when related to scripture. It's like, well, you can't let your experience shape how you see scripture. But I find in my experience, and as I've researched, I came across something called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is a way of looking at a Christian's life in terms of uh, the Bible, experience, reason, and tradition. And those are the kind of the four pillars. Just like prior hmm. to, Gal I think it was Galileo, we used to think the world was flat as Christians, but then it was through science. We discovered actually the world's round and orbits around the sun and we're not the center of the universe. So that was reason that actually helped us uncover truth. And then we can actually read the scriptures through that lens. So it's all I'm trying to say is I think I'm realizing more and more how experience really does affect our interpretation of the Bible. And that's exactly true. You know, the, the experience of a person living in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, they're going to read the scriptures differently than somebody in New York City, you know, or somebody in Sydney, Australia. Mm -hmm. And so the person who lives in poverty uh, is going to read scripture then, you know, see scripture differently than a wealthy. And that's not bad or wrong. It's just when we begin to minister, when we begin to get up really engaged in another person's life and experience, then we really begin to see scripture through different lenses and through different eyes. And uh, yeah, in our life experiences, you know, you guys as parents are probably going to start reading scriptures differently now as, you know, as a new moms and dads, you know, and raising up your children's scripture is going to definitely pop out a little bit differently. And so, yeah. And in the area of reason, you know, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the, the people that the world are thinking they're flat because even that in itself, I read scripture. I was thinking of that a couple of years ago, you know, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, those guys were thinking, all right, you know, go to the ends of the earth. They thought literally that it meant the ends of the earth, that the earth was flat and it dropped off. <laughs> and so they're like, uh, okay, boys, <laughs> let's go. You know, we might fall off into the abyss, but they were literally thinking the end of the earth, literally. And so we read it as, oh, the ends of the earth. We, we come to with our conception that the earth is round because we have that knowledge and that science. But when Jesus said that to them, they literally thought a flat end of the earth, you know, because that was how they approached scripture. And I think, man, those guys are awesome. They're like, okay, boys, let's do it, you know. And so, yeah, our experience, our understanding, our reason, all these shape who we are and you know, our understanding of the scriptures, but then this, it's a two-way street. It shapes our understanding of scriptures, but then the scriptures through that shape who we are. 
Yeah. And so it's a re- reciprocal thing, but yeah, it's so good because, um, yeah, you just, you just process things differently when you're in different life experiences. You know, I think of the, you know, the people who are out serving the poor and it seems like God is eager to bless the people who are out serving the poor, whether they're a believer or not a believer. He's so eager to help the poor that he's willing to bless all peoples that help them, you know, and, yeah. um, uh, yeah, I think that's why it's good to be out and be engaged. And yet at the same time, it's be good to be making sure that we're taking care of those in our circles, in our lives. And like Kelty, like you said, sometimes the harder thing is to really love our families, you know, because we grew up with them. We have different opinions and they still see us as 10 and we're still, we're not, you know. Yeah. So as we talk about kind of our circles, kind of a buzzword and kind of Christian culture right now is community have community have community it's like for you you talk about you're caring for the one after that you're kind of dead tired what what does community even mean to you like what what does that look like in the season that you're in now yeah that's interesting you know of all the questions that you've asked this is the one i've had to most wrestle with because i've most needed community but i've been working six hours you know the other time i'm taking care of my mother and then she's up all night you know i'm just it's exhausting there really isn't this chance of community and you know i've reached out in the sense to community but in our current church structures community is very difficult our current church structure actually hinders community in many ways you know in the early church they had the the home churches you had community as soon as you entered into worship on sunday morning because you're in a living room with 20 30 40 50 people but when you enter into a a church building with three to four hundred the shake hands thing is not community you know Mm. and when you go to, if you want community, that means signing up for a small group, which is an extra time commitment, which, you know, is good. But when you're a caregiver, I mean, you really just don't have that. And so it's interesting lately, I've been really thinking about this and I, I realize I'm going to have to be more intentional about community and just live that you live in faith that God will give me the physical energy uh, to do so and the financial ability to cut down on my job you know my work a little bit to live by uh, faith that he'll provide because we need that community and yet you know it it takes so much work to actually cultivate it because uh, I think a lot of our structures actually inhibit community mm. wow. so I you know sometimes I like man I would just like to be on a Sunday morning and uh in a home fellowship of, you know, 30, 40 people. And yeah, you could really get to know, but when you're in a a congregation of, you know, whether it's a hundred or 500 or 5,000 and you're staring at the back of somebody's heads, you know, it's, it's just really not the same. So, um, but I think we really need community and so much more than we realize. And so, yeah, it's, it's a issue I, I don't have an answer to because if you talk to any caregiver, whether it's an older person caregiver or whether they're caregiving for a special needs child or something like that, you'll find that loneliness is rampant because there's not the physical time and energy to go have to be intentional about finding community. So, and it's not so easily available in our current structure and becoming less available as we're more dependent on tech than we were before. Mm. So I think community is what, honestly, I think, the cults understand community. And so I think that's why a lot of young people are drawn to them. You know, Islam Mm -hmm. has a lot of community. It's very strong community. 
In fact, I, one of my college professors was a former Christian missionary who turned to Islam. And I think what attracted her was community. And I, I think a lot of the Jehovah's Witnesses and some of those guys, you know, they understand community. And I think if we are going to win the world, we have to recapture what genuine community is like. I know Francis Chan is really doing a lot with that right now. Yeah. So, so I, I think if we don't do that, we're going to lose the generations because this world is so hungry for community, but they just, the, it has to be done in such a way that there's not pressure like, okay, go be friends now, you know, or uh, yeah. go shake hands with everybody at church. That's not going to cut it anymore. So I That's think really we've got to re- redefine community because people are finding it in the, all the wrong places. You know, the gangs have wonderful community in it. When, yeah, I was yeah. just thinking that. Yeah. yeah they, and so that's what's so attractive. You know, if the gangs did not have that sense of community, nobody would be attracted to them. But because they yeah. have that and they've got the thrill and the excitement and community, <laughs> then people want that. You know, people are aching for community and it's only going to get worse as we get more technological but they're going to want to do it be a part of a community in a non-threatening way and you know and and to engage in genuine relationships but when i go to church of 500 you know or 200 even it's so exhausting to try to get to know people on a real level you know yeah and so i i'm you know i i think we just have to redefine you know a more biblical view of how we do church to get that community back you know because you know one thing i see is you know if you have a gift like teaching gift or a preaching gift and you go to a church of two to three hundred only one person gets to typically use that gift you know yeah, um, <clears throat> but god made gifts for everybody you know the worship team maybe five ten people but there's more than five or ten people that have a gift in singing and music and worship you know and so we've we've got to create a culture where people are actually provoked in community to use their gifts for the betterment of one another. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And as we kind of wrap up, kind of want to hear your two pieces of advice for other YWAMers that have been trained in YWAM that are now out trying to figure out how do I live out my faith in everyday life? What are kind of two nuggets that you'd want to pass on to our listeners? Yeah, I'd say first nugget is to continue to walk and trying to working to hear the voice of the Lord. When we're in a community of people, especially in YWAM, it's really easy. It's like the antenna is more sharp, more clear. And but you know, when you're on your own, continuing to walk and hearing the voice of the Lord. And the second I would say is try to find the community of God, whether it's YWAM or another group of people, because the community is what will help you sustain you for the long run and carry you during the really hard times. And right now for me, that a lot of my sense of quote community is through my online, just because I, you know, friends, you know, calling people and such. But, you know, if you have any possibility of connecting with other YWAMers or connecting in small groups it's the it's the relationships that will carry you through the long haul and get you through the good times and the and the challenging times because it, it there are some challenges you know living in a business world in a corporate world versus a a faith world yeah yeah it's really good hearing the voice of god is 
always a key thing that is really tested when you're leaving an environment that's kind of the foundational thing is hearing God's voice. And when you're out and sometimes the community you're a part of may not have a big emphasis on that, but I think God wants to continually remind people that have been trained in YWAM, you're part of this movement that you, you might've been in the organization for a few years, but it was a lifelong movement. I called you to of hearing my voice, of, yes. me, of making me known, of living out those values, uh, whatever sphere of influence that, that I've called you to be in. And I think, yeah, it's really important having that community and hearing the voice of God. And those are really practical things to help sustain you yeah. in everyday life. And I would probably add one more thing. And I think this is probably key is never forget to daily be in the word. You know, mm. I was reading that scripture where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, <laughs> you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You know, it's such a weird scripture, but he says, feed on me. And yeah. I think we've, we can never, if we ever lose that daily, you know, engagement in the word, then, um, you know, that's where our sustenance comes from. And so we've got to dine and be healthy people by dining on the word of God. And as I look at my newborn baby, I think of that verse, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow and respect. Yes. Yeah, that's so. a good picture. <laughs> What a way to wrap up. Lucy has been quiet the whole time. Oh, and, what a good uh, baby. You guys are blessed. What a great baby. <laughs> but Melissa, thanks so much for your time. I know it's you've got Thank you, Jordan, a lot of uh, things going on in the home and at work. And we really appreciate you sharing your story of being so open and honest about what you're going through. And I, I just I just know people will be able to resonate with the advice and the stories you've shared and be encouraged. So yeah. that's great. Really Such appreciate good it. wisdom. Your story is so inspiring what you're doing. So thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to share with us yeah and, and thank you for sharing the stories of what god is doing you know in the big picture but also in the small pictures of things because i i, I think that is encouraging when we all hear that that god is with us in the the big moments and in the seasons where we're obscure so i'm so grateful yeah. for to you guys and your ministry and what you're doing to create community in a sense yeah cool thanks so much must so great to catch up We'll have to not wait like five years to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. So sounds good. All right. All right. You guys take we'll care. We'll see you later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Just wanted to ask for your help. If you're enjoying these podcasts, if you could rate us on your podcast player, give us five stars. Also, if you can share um, any one of the podcasts that you've enjoyed, share it on social media, or even just tag yourself or tag the podcast on maybe your Instagram story, just to get the word out there that these podcasts are here for YWAMers to be encouraged. So if you're encouraged, feel free to share the love. We would love your help to get this podcast out to more people. Thanks so much. Well, that's all for now. We hope you were encouraged by today's interview. If you aren't already doing so, follow us at YWAM Spheres on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and check out our website to find more resources to help you thrive in the spheres. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you.